Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gunnan from Find the Ranch. Hello and welcome back to Beyond the Wrench. Happy to have you for another week. Before we get into our special guest for today, just want to announce the winner of the higher or lower game for last week, and that was Robert Soleil. Robert had a final score of 30, and this uh, this week's prize was sponsored by Find a Wrench. The current Queen of Hearts pot, however, goes to $2,000 because Robert did not flip over the Queen of Hearts. So, That pot is getting up there higher and higher and higher. It's really fun to be able to give those out. So keep playing it. Keep going onto the app, uh, answering the challenges, playing the games. It really does help us be able to give that voice of technician out to industry. So uh, as a reminder, you can download the free Wrenchway Insiders app in the App Store or on Google Play. Text can browse shops to work at post reverse job postings, which is a really, really cool new feature, and answer quick questions about the industry for chances to win prizes. We will include the links to download the app in the show notes below. On this week's episode, just a really, really neat episode with Kevin Likas from ASC. Those of you that know the importance of ASC know how important this po- this topic probably is, right? And so Kevin came on to talk about the ASC's uh, new recertification app and really what it is, what it's meant for, and overall just giving a good explanation of the app itself. But on top of that, we were able to dive into a bunch of other stuff, uh, really kind of where questions come from and just general ideas of of what ASC is all about and kind of where they come from with this. So really cool podcast, very informative. Kevin is a whiz with everything that we talked about. So it helped give me clarity on some things that I needed clarity on with ASC, and I think it'll do the same for you. So hope you enjoy this week's episode and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Welcome to the show, Kevin. How is everything going today? Oh, it's just a uh, wonderful Wednesday and it's a beautiful day here in Northern Virginia. All right. I'm uh, really excited to talk with you about a few different things, uh, primarily the the new app that you've got with ASC. Uh, But before we dive into all of that, I want to talk about you. Uh, I want to talk about your background and uh, let's start with what you do at ASC. All right, I am a project manager with ASC and I am responsible for the ASC Renewal App Program. Um, I've been on this program since its inception, which was back in 2017. And uh, at that time I was kind of wearing multiple hats around here and uh, managing some of the traditional testing programs as well as being part of the app and getting it up and going and uh, ready to roll. But, uh, as of today, we've got about uh, 10,500 active participants in the app and uh, we do conduct nine workshops every year. And so the app is uh, pretty much my full-time uh, ride. This is uh, what I do. I do still dabble a little bit in a couple traditional tests but uh, I don't give them anywhere near the attention that I give the app, but that's, that's my role around here. So how in the world do you get to the point to where you're working at ASC? Uh, let's talk about your, your past, what got you into the industry in the first place and, and what got you to where you're at today? 
All right. It's a, a fairly long story, but I will try to make it as brief as possible. Um, you know, I started out probably as a, a lot of, uh, you know, young people do that uh, get into this business. Um, I was always intrigued by cars and was always out under the hood with, with my dad or the neighbor down the street who was a long haul trucker and uh, holding wrenches and just kind of getting getting the bug. During high school, I started a job at a local gas station that uh, had the full service island. And uh, they started teaching me how to do, you know, basic light repair. Uh, from there, I moved on and uh, started working in a, a tire shop for a while and uh, started uh, doing some things with them. Uh, then I moved on and I was still fascinated with the, the whole industry and uh, worked for a, a garage that had a tow truck. And so I drove tow truck for a while and uh, that was actually a very eye-opening experience and it uh, grows you up really quickly. Um, but then at the age of 22, I uh, started as an apprentice at a local Chevrolet dealership. Worked my way up the ranks through there and uh, made my way up to a uh, journeyman and then uh, kind of, you know, moved around from dealership to dealership there chasing that almighty dollar, which, uh, you know, at that age, that was one of those things that you kind of did. Oh, they're going to offer you a dollar across the street. Okay, well, let's go over there. And, uh, but anyway, so then... Um, we started doing a lot more training and uh, General Motors was doing a lot of training uh, through distance learning and they had just uh, launched that program. And I was taking one of those distance learning courses. Typically they would be about a three hour long course, pretty neat because you could actually sit there and close loop satellite in the dealership and, and watch it. And you didn't have to go to a training center and all that. But I took a course on uh, transmission. It was only about 90 minutes and I was really, really disappointed. I thought, man, this guy just read the book to me. I could have done this myself. At the end of every broadcast, they would always ask for feedback. So I provided them that feedback. Upon doing so, uh, they contacted me and I told them my story and all that. And as fate would have it, um, I was going on a little bit of a road trip, headed up towards Detroit. At the time, they said, hey, stop by. You know, we'd like to meet you. I said, okay, great. So I stopped by. They gave me the quick nickel tour of the place. thought it was really neat and you know what they were doing and all that. And as I was getting ready to leave, they said, would you be interested in being an instructor for us? I'm like, say what? And they said, yeah, this is, you know, you've got the personality, you've got the charisma, you've got the, the knowledge, and we would be interested in having you be an instructor for us. So I moved from uh, Northern California to Detroit, started doing that. I uh, was an instructor in both the hands-on portion of the training center, as well as the distance learning. And this was before distance learning was cool. Uh, we were doing all that kind of stuff. And then in 2009, I was moved out of the training center over into our curriculum department, where I started to uh, develop and create courses. I was a subject matter expert uh, for transmission, subject matter expert for diesels, uh, you know, some of the things that uh, I had a kind of passion for when I was out as a technician. One of the roles that the subject matter experts got were they got to travel to ASE and they would help support question writing sessions. The first question writing session I went to was L1 didn't really know what I was in for. Holy cow, what an experience that is. And so um, I definitely supported uh, ASC for quite a few different uh, sessions. Um, and as uh, fate would have it, when you hang around the place long enough, sometimes they knock on the door and say, hey, would you be interested? And uh, at the time, I was going through a transition. The time was, the time was right. It was just a perfect opportunity. Uh, we moved and uh, came here to Northern Virginia, and I've been with ASC for nearly five years now. It's one of the best decisions that, that I've made. It's pretty cool. That That is a really cool story. I, I do have to ask, how was the transition from Northern California to Detroit? <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I lived my entire life. My wife and, and the two kids, you know, we lived our entire lives in Northern California, just uh, in the Central Valley, just sort of south of Sacramento, due east of San Francisco. So didn't get too hot. Didn't, oh, well, I shouldn't say that. It got very hot. 
but it didn't get too cold and we never saw snow. I mean, the snow was up in the mountains. That was it. But we were so close to the ocean. Um, it was one of those things that, you know, you just, you don't have to deal with. I moved to Detroit in January. Beautiful time in Detroit. Oh, isn't it? I drove a truck and trailer to Detroit, flew back and jumped in the moving truck and then brought the family out the 1st of February. And we were following one of those nasty Midwest storms that uh, starts off as snow and ice and then ends up with rain on the backside of it. So we actually got stopped. Couldn't make it one day because the weather was just so bad. But uh, when we pulled into the front of the house in in, uh, Detroit, there was six inches of snow on the driveway and it had about an inch of ice on top of it. And the driveway was probably 75 feet long and it went into a side entrance garage and the house been sitting vacant for 10 days. Nothing had been touched. Welcome to Detroit. Go find your shovel. So we, we cleaned the driveway off. And about three hours later, we started unloading the truck. That was my uh, my welcoming experience to Detroit. I, I can joke about it. We're outside of Madison, Wisconsin. We we have the same January. It can be brutal. I can only imagine <laughs> driving across country and then, uh, and then having to shovel your driveway so that you can move your stuff in. It's already challenging as it is and then uh, throw six inches of snow with ice on it and it makes it even more challenging. Fun memories, at least. You'll never forget it. We spent 13 years there. So, you know, we went through it uh, more than once. You know, my kids learned how to drive on the snow and uh, we went and did the, you know, spinning out in the parking lots and all that stuff. And I'm proud to say that uh, all three, you know, the wife and uh, both kids, if the car got into a slide, they could steer out of it and they would not end up hitting a tree or going in a ditch. So, um, you know, there was some some good things to come from it, but uh, boy, it was cold. <laughs> so, so that leads us to present day with this app. And really, when you started talking to me about the app, I was fascinated by what you had going on, right? And I think it's because there's a lot of cool stuff with it, right? And so uh, tell us a little bit about this app, the purpose of the app and the importance. Now, this is a recertification app, correct? Correct. The app is available for automobile technicians, and they have to have been previously certified at some point in one of the A-series certifications, so A1 through A9. All right. So if if you're a technician and you're looking at downloading this app, what does it do for them? Explain the app in a little bit of detail as far as what it does. The first thing I want to say about the app is the app is not a test. ASE, we have been in existence since 1972. We are getting ready to celebrate our 50th year in business next year. The past 49 years, ASE has done nothing more than test and provide credentials to technicians uh, for various segments of the automotive industry. So when the app came around, we had to break the mold. You know, we've been doing testing for a long time. And so a lot of people think that the app is just a remote test that somebody can take, but it's actually something very, very different. And if you do think that it is a test, it actually is going to increase potentially the frustration with the app because the app has got a very different focus than what testing does. With traditional testing, you know, we're looking for minimum competency. We're making sure that you understand enough things to make you competent enough in those particular areas. 
The app is the opposite end of the spectrum. The app is really a maintenance tool that technicians can use to maintain their expiration dates on their certifications, and it's a learning tool. With traditional ASC testing, the content that's in the questions in those tests is anywhere from between three to five years old. And the reason that it is three to five years old is we want to make sure that everybody across the board has had some exposure to that content. So whether you are in a dealership, which is going to be more that leading edge stuff, or whether you're in the aftermarket, which gets the vehicles typically after they come out of warranty, which is about that three-year mark, uh, we want to make sure that that content, if somebody has got a minimum of two years of experience under their belt, they should be able to answer those questions if they've been doing that job day in, day out, every day. So with the app, we go to the opposite end of the spectrum. The app is focusing in on content that is more leading edge. So this is the type of stuff that dealership technicians are seeing, that those 2021 model year vehicles, or now about to come out 22 model year vehicles, are going to have these new systems. And the idea behind it was we wanted to bring awareness to the aftermarket, especially, that these new systems are coming. And you may not know that they're there, or you may not know how they work, but by bringing that awareness, this hopefully is going to then uh, cause them to be curious and want to go out and learn more, whether it's simply doing a Google search and going ahead and learning a little bit more about how the system works or what it does, or taking it all the way to the extreme and trying to go to some of those traveling you know, shows that are out there, such as Vision and some of the other ones that are there, which provide superior information to service technicians. And a lot of people just, they, they don't know. They don't know what they're about. They don't attend those things. That's kind of what our goal is, was to try to bring awareness. We want to identify gaps in technicians' knowledge, and then hopefully the technician will take the initiative to go ahead and fill that gap. And then that way, when one of those vehicles is coming down the uh, service lane and shows up in their stall, they're like, what? What do you mean this car has got a, a dual clutch transmission? What the heck is a dual clutch transmission? Now, you know, they've gonna had some exposure to it. Oh yeah, I remember that. We're not trying to get them to master the repair of it, but just to bring that awareness that exists and have them go out looking for information so they can go back and look at that information again and uh, in an effort always to uh, try to make them a better technician. So that's the first goal of the app is to try to bring that more leading edge content and then the second goal of the app is to try to reinforce concepts and principles that technicians typically struggle with. Electrical, that's a very low-hanging fruit. We can very easily sit there and talk for quite a while about electrical diagnostics and uh, how uh, some technicians really struggle with this. We go ahead and have those type of things that go into the app and try to, again, reinforce those concepts and uh, try to uh, bring that awareness again to that technician to hope, hopefully help them understand, you know, I remember them talking about voltage drop during my training, but I really haven't put it into practice practical application. And then the question we ask, you know, is discussing that, but just in words instead of them actually touching it. Those are the two main things we try to do with the app. Well, and what I love about what you said, and this is something in our prior conversation that really struck me as important to understand is identifying gaps in your knowledge, right? And and being able to use the tool to understand what you don't know and be able to, to kind of refine that and, and dig in in an area where maybe you thought you were really, really good at, but maybe you're not as strong as you think you are and being able to use all the tools at your disposal, those kind of things. And I think when I was growing up as a young tech, that was one of the things with ASC in general that was scary, right? Is you go in and you take a test, you know, if you don't pass it, everybody knows you didn't pass it, right?
I, it, it, in the shop atmosphere, it kind of just feels that way where there's some pressure on you, right? And I think that creates some level of test anxiety. I think that creates some some different things that are are stressful to a tech. When you say that you're identifying gaps in somebody's knowledge, it's not an insult, right? Like that's that shouldn't be taken as an insult. That should be taken as a way to help you refine your craft. Am I off base there? Absolutely not. You are absolutely spot on. I'll tell you, when we do these workshops and you know we're doing nine of them annually, I learn something in every single workshop that I go through. You know, and I've been in this business for nearly 30 years and been involved in everything from the hands-on side of it to course development and to uh, being the instructor and teaching them how these things work. It still amazes me. I mean, none of us knows everything. And one of the common threads that we hear at the end of our workshops with our subject matter experts experts is they feel better and they know more at the end of the workshop than they did when they came in. And so these guys are all the top of their game and they're learning stuff. The the one thing that I have noticed with a lot of technicians is they're very passionate. And because of that passion, they're very proud about what they do. However, sometimes that passion and that pride does get in the way and humility sometimes falls off. But for the guy that can actually say, you know what, I don't know everything, man, the app is a perfect tool for them and it's going to make them better. There's so much power in that. Just being comfortable with what you don't know. And, you know, that's not just for the app. That's just for anything, right? Like being able to admit that you just don't know something and then being able to do the research and the studying and, and really, again, refining your craft. I think technicians, the good ones, the really, really good ones look at it as a craft and they take pride in that. And I think that's where, you know, we talked about the questions as a whole. And this is kind of a segue from the the app to ASE in general. I remember going in and this was something that was frustrating to me as a young tech was trying to pick the most right answer, right? And, and trying to figure out, okay, I know this is right and I know this is right, but I don't know which one is the most right. That's since changed, right? That the, the way that you answer a question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with, with the app itself, there is one correct answer and three incorrect answers. And one of the things we do differently with the app that you do not get from traditional testing is we explain each one of the answer choices after you answer it. So we give you a brief rationale to explain why this answer choice is right and why the other answer choices are wrong. With traditional testing, we have tried to eliminate as many of the most likely questions as possible. I would love to sit here and say that we have eliminated 100% of them, but unfortunately, that's not the case. There are still a few that are floating around out there, but I will say that 90 to 90 5% of the questions that you find on an ASC test, or even a higher percentage really in the automobile series, there's only going to be one right answer. And the other three answer choices are absolutely incorrect. And so that takes away that ambiguity where you sit there and you kind of think, well, this could happen and this could happen. You know, which one is the best one? What are they looking for? Which is the common thing that I always hear from everybody. We've really tried to remove and eliminate that. But speaking along these lines real quick, the best advice that I can give somebody when they start taking one of these tests and start thinking along those lines is to say, stop. Do not read into the question. Read the question for face value. Do not think, well, I saw this once back in 1995 on this one car. So that is actually true. No, look at the question. Look at your answer choices. Take them for face value. Could that cause it? Yes or no? And if you will go through and do that, you will increase the successfulness that you will have in answering those questions. And again, we've talked a little bit about this before. If you are doing the job day in and day out, should be a breeze. They should be something that you do. Uh, you just sit down, you knock out the questions, and away you
you go. But if it's something you don't do on a regular basis, yeah, some people are going to struggle. And so those people need to study to be prepared for that and, uh, you know, help them to, uh, you know, be successful within that. But if it's something you do every day, you should be able to sit down and knock that questions out without any issue at all. What advice do you have for somebody that might need to study up on a, a particular test? Say they're going for AC. You know, we we talked about AC as, as maybe one of the more challenging ones, in my opinion. But when when you sit down and look at that, what and maybe you're a tech that knows that you don't have all of the experience you you need for that ASC test. What are some some ways that a tech could prep themselves to be able to take the test? That's a great question. Well, I always try to, because I get this question often, especially when I was managing part of the automobile series, um, we would get this question on the phone and I always would point the technician towards the free ASE study guides. And you can pick those up at ASE.com. They're in a PDF format. You can simply download them and take a look at the test specifications. The study guide is going to tell you how many questions are on each one of the certifications. It's going to tell you how many questions are in each one of the categories. And then underneath each one of those categories, there's going to be a list of tasks that are going to be discussed for those particular questions. Now, not every task is going to have a question. So you may take a look at this list and you may see that there's 15, 20 tasks tasks in one category, but we're only asking five questions. But I will guarantee you that every question that is asked will be related to one of those tasks in the list. And so what I often tell guys to do is to first have a big dose of humble pie. And then after you've done that, go somewhere quiet where it's just you and the study guide and nobody else around, nobody looking, and just have that honest conversation with yourself. Take a look at each one of those categories. Take a look at each one of the tasks in the study guide. What I tell folks to do is if you see a task and you feel confident that you know enough information about that task that you could actually sit down and teach somebody about it, if that's the case, put a little check mark next to that task because that means that you are knowledgeable on that task and you really don't need to spend any time studying. Go through each one of the tasks in the list, but be honest with yourself. If you think, well, you know, I know uh, somewhat about this task, but I'm not as knowledgeable as I need to be, leave it blank and then just simply move on to the next one. And as you go through all the tasks, identify the ones that you're strong in, identify the ones that maybe you could use a little bit of bolstering in. And then at the end, go through and find all the tasks that do not have check marks next to them. And that's what you want to try to focus your studying on. And one of the things that I will say has been positive about this whole pandemic that we've been going through for the last year and a half to almost two years is there is a ton of training out there now that's available. And it's available typically with no cost. You can go and find a podcast, webinars. There's just so much information that's floating around out there. And if you dig around a little bit, you'll probably find some information on those tasks that you need some help with. And you can sit down at your computer and uh, sit there and watch a video possibly, or uh, just read some, some online documentation, things like that. And that'll help to boost your knowledge so that when you go in to take that test, hopefully you get one of those questions and you'll be able to answer it without any issue. That's great advice as a whole. And I hope uh, you techs that are listening to this out there, take some notes on what he just said, because that is uh, that is some great, great stuff. Now, one of the things that is interesting about ASC to me, and this is something where I think our industry needs to get on the same page with ASC in this regard, where there's some shops that take ASC extremely seriously and they want to be Blue Seal certified, uh, require uh, their people to be ASC 
certified so that they do get that blue seal. But then there's some shops that might not, right? And there's, and even down to, you know, you talk about dealerships, there's some dealers or manufacturers that really take ASE seriously. And, and then there's others that just don't prioritize it as much. Is that something that you see out there? And, and I, I asked this from the, the stance of trying to figure out how we get standardization across the industry. You know, ASC's got the best platform for that. And I'm trying to figure out why there's there's a, a disparity in thinking between shops. Yeah. And this is a, a very common question also that we have, we get and receive around here. You know, the, the what's in it for me discussion happens a lot of times. And uh, prior to the pandemic, I used to go out to a lot of the trade shows and things like that and talk with a lot of technicians as well as shop owners. And uh, that would be a common question. You know, why should I do this? What is in this thing for me? And one of the things that, you know, I like to always share with the technicians as, as well as the shop owners is that the ASC certification is a credential that shows you are competent, that you know what you are doing. Now, I know that there's gonna be a lot of people that can argue, well, you know, I've seen these guys that are ASE certified and they can't find their way out of a paper bag. Well, okay, that's true. But how many non-certified guys can you see that do the same thing? You know, it, it goes both ways in that regard. But the thing about the ASE credential is the ASE credential is one of those things that as a shop owner that you can show your customer and you can say, look, this is what makes me different from the guy down the street. You know, there's a lot of different opportunities and a lot of different options you have out there. So why should you come to my business instead of the guy down the street? Guy down the street, maybe he's only charging $75 an hour. I'm charging $100 an hour. You know, why am I better and why am I worth that extra money? Well, let me show you my technicians. Let me show you the training that they have. As a Blue Seal shop, 75% of the technicians in your shop have got to be ASE certified in the areas that they do work within. And so the ASE credential is a very important part of the automotive industry. And it shows and tells customers that this is a good shop. This is a shop that you should have faith in because they've taken the time, they see the value in ASC, and they require their technicians to have that minimum competency. And by displaying those credentials and presenting that to the customers, it's, it's what separates them from anybody else that's working in their area. Well, and you you had a great analogy in our prior conversation about comparing it to lawyers, right? Even though a lawyer has to pass the bar, they're still bad lawyers, right? Like <laughs> it's not like they pass the bar and you just have a bunch of great lawyers. There's different tiers of lawyers. And I think, as you mentioned, being able to, to show that certification as being competent of knowing systems, knowing theory, knowing how things work, that's a that's a big deal. And there's some people that might not be able to translate that into physical, but that should be, in my eyes, kind of the minimum, right? And, and this, I've had this conversation with all kinds of people where, you know, in order to open a daycare, you need certification. In order to do, you know, a, a number of different things, if you're an electrician, or a plumber, or that there's different certifications that you have to get besides like, but if you want to be a tech, go buy yourself a set of wrenches and put a shingle out on a building and you're a tech. To me, that just, that blows me away. And it, it's one of the most liable industries that are out there. I mean, if you think about this, you've got a family that's driving down the road in a car that you just service the brakes on. And if you don't know what you're doing, what are you going to do to that family? What are you going to do to the other families potentially that that family runs into? I mean, there is just so many ramifications that can occur. And the incompetency of technicians out there, it's dangerous. 
it's really, really dangerous. And with the ASC credential, the ASC credential is awarded to a technician who has a minimum of two years work experience and then can answer the questions that are asked on the test. And I I could bore you with all the kinds of the the psychometrics that goes on and all of the different uh, testing that ASC has done, but there is a high probability that if a technician can answer the questions and understand the mechanical concepts that are going on up here, it's going to translate into these guys right here and they'll be able to actually do it within their hands. There's always going to be exceptions and there is no question about it. But the lawyer analogy is always a really good one to talk about because the ASC credential is establishing that minimum bar. And this says that this guy has got at least enough knowledge to be able to work effectively in your shop. Now, the credential itself is good for five years. And so five years after earning the initial credential, the technician either has to go back to a secure testing center and retest and be certified again for another five years, or with the ASC renewal app, they can go ahead and answer their questions and earn the appropriate credits. After doing so, we will extend their expiration one calendar year. So it's just another option that they have. But of course, we're not going to go out as far as with the recertification because uh, the questions themselves, they're a little more challenging. So we want to make sure that you know we are not awarding somebody a credential that really shouldn't be receiving it. Because with the app as well, you know they can sit there and uh, they can ask their buddies. They could go online and, and ask questions and do things like that. So it's a little bit of a, a, a lower expiration that goes on there. But nonetheless, it's still very effective. And when we start talking about technicians that are recertifying, an extremely high percentage of technicians, when they go recertify, pass the test. And they pass it by a very, very high percentage. And if you think about it, it really kind of makes a lot of sense. When the guy goes in to take his certification for the first time, or she goes in to take her certification for the first time, they have a minimum of two years of experience under their belt. Those folks do typically sometimes struggle. You know, their pass percentages are usually on the much lower end. They're right at what's called the cut score, where they're at the the point of passing or failing. But we don't care. You know, as long as they exceed that cut score, we're going to award them the credential. But five years later, they're going to have between five to seven years of experience under their belt. We expect that they should pass that certification without very much difficulty at all. And that's part of the reason why the recertification tests are half-length in comparison to the full-length test. And so, again, with the app, it's just another way that technicians can go ahead and maintain their credentials. But to me, I really like the app in the regard that with traditional testing, you don't know which questions you got right. You don't know which questions you got wrong. All you know is you passed or you failed. And how many times, I mean, we live in this whole cause and effect you know, world that are that goes on out there. And when you get a question wrong, I want to know which question I got wrong and I want to know why. So I can figure out what happened, what was going on with traditional testing. We just don't offer that. You know, it's, it's a pass or fail and that's it. So with the app, we actually provide that feedback instantaneously. We'll tell you which questions you got right, which questions you got wrong and why. And so that's where the app really helps technicians that want to be better people to uh, do that. What, what happens if you fail on the re- recertification? If you fail on a recertification test, so through traditional testing, you have to wait 30 days. And that 30-day time period is so that you can go out and prepare and get ready for the next attempt at the certification. Now, we get a lot of pushback and feedback around that, and guys want to go ahead and take that test immediately. But almost in every instance, when somebody goes in, because occasionally we do get the hardship complaint. Guy comes in here, uh, I, I've lost my certification. I need to go in right away. I'm going to lose my job. You know, we will make an exception if there is enough of a case for it. But almost every single time that we make that exception, 
the person fails the test again because the tests are different. It's not like we're going to hand you the exact same test you just saw. You're going to see a completely different test. It's going to be built to the same specifications and it's going to have the uh, same difficulty level, but it's a completely different set of questions. And so for a guy that struggles with answering the questions on the first round, they're going to struggle with it on the second round. So the 30-day cooling off period has been established so they can go out there and hopefully learn some things because they've seen what was on the test. And now combine that with the task lists and the categories, they should hopefully be able to go ahead and improve and sharpen their skills. And this will then in turn improve the probability of them answering the questions correctly the next time around. As far as the app is concerned, that's a little bit of a different animal. So if a technician gets a question wrong in the app, we actually are going to give them a second chance question. Now we do make them wait again. There's a 10 day waiting period here. This is a little bit of a different scenario because with the app, we're talking about this more leading edge technology. We want these guys and gals to go ahead and go out and learn about the concept or the topic that was being discussed in the question. But we're doing it at the question level. We're not doing it at the entire you know bank of questions that are, are there. So go out, learn about whatever it is that you have a gap, because that's what happened when you got the question wrong and identified there was a gap there. Learn about it. 10 days later, we're going to give you a second chance. Now, in the event that you struggle with the second chance question, 10 days after that, we will give you a third chance question. So it's kind of like baseball. You get three strikes, but after the third strike, you have lost the opportunity to earn credit for that particular month. But that doesn't kick you out of the app. The next month, the next set of questions are going to show up and you just continue working along and answer those questions accordingly. That is cool. That is really cool. I think it's really innovative. I applaud ASC, all of you at ASC for kind of taking the time to adapt there. And I think that is hugely helpful. Now, one thing that's always fascinated me about ASC is the questions. I want to kind of walk through the question development part of this, right? So how, how do you come up with the questions? This is actually very fascinating as well. Believe it or not, ASC doesn't write questions. We do not write any of our own questions. All of the content, whether it's in traditional testing or whether it's in the app, it comes from a committee of subject matter experts. Now, the, this committee is made up of representatives from manufacturers. It's made up from representatives of higher education. So if you've got uh, the tech schools and things like that, college instructors, those guys, uh, they will show up. And we also have a group of working technicians. They will also come in. So between the three different groups, they sit, they create the questions, they then go through the questions one by one and approve every question. And then once they have been approved by everybody within the group, then they will make their way through to make their way into the uh, particular product. Now, as far as traditional testing is concerned, those questions are going to go into what's called a pretest status. And when you take an ASC test, you're going to have a certain number of questions. And then at the end, it says, well, it's actually not at the end, but I mean, there are an additional 10 questions that are going to show up on the certification test. Those questions are kind of intermixed throughout all of the questions within the test. And the reason they do that is we want to go ahead and get real world feedback on the question. It's not fair to hold somebody to a credential with a question that is potentially flawed. But in the same breath, if you know that that question is just there for statistical purposes, are you really going to give it any effort? You may just choose whatever answer you want, move on, and go down the road to the next question. We take those new questions, we intermix them into the tests, we go ahead and collect all the statistical data on them. And if the question meets the difficulty level and we have the, the, the number of 
people were expecting to give us the correct answer. And the question has what's called discrimination so that we know the knowledgeable people will be able to answer this question. The less than knowledgeable people are going to struggle with this question. If all of these things fall into line and they meet the criteria and the specification, then they will go out into the regular testing. On the app, it's a little bit different. We have our tech committee that uh, authors the questions and there's a group between 12 and 16 people. They sit there and we put them together in teams. So we try to diversify the teams as much as possible. So we'll try to put a OEM representative with a school educator and a working technician. And sometimes we may have another one that goes in there. We really try to diversify so we don't have uh, all import guys sitting together or all domestic guys sitting together. We really try to, you know, just mix it up as much as possible because we want those different perspectives. And then the groups will go through and they create questions together as a team. So they basically are kind of pre-vetting the question. When they're finished, they then present their question to the entire group and we get feedback from the entire group about that question. And then once the entire group has approved the question, we can then move on to the next one. And then the last step, of the process is we have a group of remote item reviewers. And these remote item reviewers have no knowledge of the discussion that has gone on during the development of the question. What happens is the question gets developed and somebody is misinterpreting it because we can word things just a little bit differently to make it a little bit clearer. And that's what we draw out of those discussions. But oftentimes, the technical aspect of the question, the item author will be able to go ahead and plead their case. And everybody says, oh, yeah, okay, I see that now. It's good. And they just push it through and it gets approved. So by having this group of remote item reviewers, they have never seen these questions before. So I get that raw feedback from these guys. And the folks that are doing this for us, you know, one of the criteria that we look for is we want them to be demonstrative. We want them to actually say things and give us some positive feedback, good and bad. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing uh, that they can say that's going to really offend us. But, you know, this question's wrong or this question can be clear because of this, whatever the case is. And then we go ahead and make those changes. We run it past the group. And then at that point, they say yay or nay to it. And then and only then do those questions then get introduced into the app. And what we have found by doing this extra step is that the complaints around the questions have substantially decreased. And in fact, it's really, I got a really neat story. Um, I had a, a guy who's part of our Facebook group that had got on there and he stated, he says, you know, I don't always agree with the questions that come out in this app, you know, and to the point that I kind of get a little bit riled up and I want to get up here and, you know, and post my concerns just like everyone else is. But in every single instance that I have felt this way, when I took the time to research the question, I found out that ASE was right. I was wrong. And there was that gap in my knowledge. And this question helped to fill it. Hats off to you guys at ASE. You're doing a fantastic job. And, you know, I, I can't take the credit for this. I've got to give this to our technical committee and our review committees because those are the guys that write, create, and approve the questions. My job is just to administer the program and make it flow as smooth as possible. But anyway, that's the process that these questions go through. It's a lot of people think that uh, us people here at ASC, we sit up in this room and we just sit there and churn questions out and pull them out of every orifice we can. But uh, that's not the case at all. Um, the questions, they come from, from a group of very knowledgeable people. We're just the ones that administer them and uh, handle the complaints when they come in. Well, it, and I think that helps so much in the understanding of where it comes from, you know, the origins of a, of a test in general, just understanding that piece. So maybe it's not as intimidating. I think that's a big deal. Uh, what is, uh, what's the number one complaint you get? Number one complaint that I'm getting, well, I, a lot of times I say, you know, they, they start off their 
email or their phone call, you know, this test isn't fair. You're, you're asking me things that I don't know. And I have to, you know, redirect them and go, please understand that with the app, it's not a test. This is a learning tool. The app website actually has got 29 frequently asked questions that we have come up with. And um, in most cases, we can point them to that particular uh, FAQ and it answers it. But uh, we were able to diffuse a lot of people when they get past the idea that this is not a test, that this is actually a learning tool. I get a myriad of complaints and a lot of them are technical in nature. And one of the features the app has is there is a technical discussion on the question level. So after somebody answers a question, there's a little thought bubble down in the bottom corner of the mobile app. Or there's a comment box if you're doing the PC version of the app. And people can go ahead and type in their comments, what they think about that question. It's very interesting because you'll get people that will have a concern with the question because they're interpreting it one way or they're thinking about it, how it, it, it works in their mind. And then you have these other people that jump on board and they're doing the same thing. And then a knowledgeable tech will get in there and say, guys, you're wrong. This is not how this works. When you put your meter lead on a power source and you put your lead on the ground source and it's of a connector on a fuel pump, you're reading the available voltage. That doesn't mean that you've got an open power or you got an open ground. If you see 12 volts at the connector, you got a problem with your fuel pump. Guys will think, oh no, this has got a bad, you know, it's got an open power. It's got an open ground it's showing 12 volts. And they're crisscrossing open circuit voltage with voltage drop. So they see those high numbers and things get all out of whack with them. And literally, if I wanted to, or if I could address every comment on every question, I'd work 16 hours a day trying to answer every single comment that goes on out there because there are so many comments. And unfortunately, a lot of them are from good people, but they do need a little bit of guidance to get them going in the right direction. And as a former educator, I mean, it's just my passion is to try to help these people and try to make them better. But thankfully, there's a lot of technicians out there that do take the time that will actually help and try to guide and direct them. And in a lot of regards, I think that it comes better from one of their peers than it does come from this guy with the big blue oval because, uh, you know, he's not in touch with the real world. That's that's not the case. Well, and I think that when we shift our mindset from thinking, oh, the man's trying to screw us here <laughs> with like to... I need to understand voltage drop better. That is, I think, just such a key takeaway from our, our discussion today. You're not asking questions to try and trick them. You're trying to really understand where their knowledge is and, and maybe where they need to improve their knowledge so that they are a better technician. And you know, I think if we take that mindset into this, that changes the way techs look at ASE. I really believe that. You are trying to help them become better technicians and showcase the ones that are really great technicians. So I think that's great. Now, ASE itself is coming up on a pretty big anniversary, right? And I think that is a huge deal. And I, you know, I, to go back to the origins of how ASE started, whatever compelled ASE to even become a thing? What was it that was like, hey, we need some certification here? That is a great question. And there is a quite a bit of information out there online about the entire history of ASE. I mean, we could do an entire podcast just talking about the origin of ASE and how it started. But in a nutshell, back in the uh, late 60s and early 70s, there was a lot of outcry from the general public. And it was towards automobile technicians. At that point, you know, they were referred to as mechanics and things of that nature. But, but nonetheless, and there was a lot of outcry from the public about fraud that you know these these guys out there they're they're ripping us off they're they're doing all this stuff and it's just a very fraudulent industry and uh, you know getting your car fixed is rated right up there with going to certain doctors and 
dentists and things like that. And people just really despise the industry. And this got to the point that it got the ear of Congress. And so there were uh, people within Congress that were looking at our industry. And as we talked about a few moments ago about you know the liability that this industry really has uh, when servicing automobiles, that they were talking about getting in and doing some license, licensure of technicians. Well, a group of people got together and said, whoa, 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 time out. Before you do that, let us go ahead and take a look at our industry. Let us take a look and do some evaluating and try to identify what the problem is and let us try to fix it. Because the government, as we know, is is definitely known for doing things right all the time, right? I don't want to sit there and slam them, but when you start getting into that, there's a lot of bureaucracy, there's a lot of strings that are involved, and there's a lot of people that get involved, and they kind of steer and move and guide things, and it doesn't always go in the direction that it was originally intended to go. So basically, they got together and said, let us try to police our own industry. So as they went in and started looking at what was going on, looking at the complaints and trying to understand what was happening, it was very clear and evident that this really wasn't about fraud. People were not trying to dis generally rip the public off and you know try to be the, the bad apple. Now, there were some, obviously, but overall, for the most part, that's not the case. The problem was a lack of competency. There were people that just didn't know what they were doing. And so they would go and they fix something and it didn't fix it and the customer paid for it. And now, you know, I just paid for this and you didn't fix my car, blah, blah, blah. You've all heard the stories that go down the line. So that's where ASC was birthed from. And the, the group of individuals that got started doing all of this came up with this credentialing idea and that folks could go ahead and answer questions. And if they were knowledgeable about those questions, that should translate into the knowledge to fix and repair cars. And there's a lot of science that goes into what we do here. Uh, but uh, that's that's where it all started from. For the last 50 years, that is what, uh, or 49, I should say, it'll be 50 next year. But for the last 49 years, that's what ASE has been about is about assessing people's skill sets, providing credentials, and then those credentials are what they can use to show their customers that they are knowledgeable or their employers that they are knowledgeable in doing the work that they're doing. And this is really no different, like you said before, when you compare it to a lawyer, you compare it to a welder, when you compare it to an accountant, there are multiple industries, not just the automotive industry, that credentialing is a key part of what they do. And so that's that's the origins of it. Today, you know, we still see quite a bit of this. There's a lot of uh, shops that are running around out there and uh, they don't have the proper credentialing. And they're out there offering a professional service because a professional is somebody gets paid for the work that they do, but the work that they provide is, is not always the best quality. One of the things I like to look at from time to time is some of the complaint logs from the California Bureau of Automotive Repair. And it's fascinating to see what these businesses are doing out there and all of these cases that the bar has had to intervene on. And again, it goes right back down to that lack of competency or lack of knowledge. These guys are trying to run their business and, uh, you know, the public is saying, foul, you know, this, this is not right. You don't know what you're doing. They don't know where to go. They don't know what to do. You know, ASE is one of those things that uh, can help differentiate the less than knowledgeable from the more than knowledgeable. I commend you, Kevin, for kind of breaking this all down for us. I think this is something that I've had questions about over my career. And, you know, I think being able to break it down to a point to where ASC is not this big, scary thing, right? Where, you know, for you young techs that are out there, even some of you veteran techs that are out there that have, have kind of hesitated to 
go take an ASC test or really embrace what you don't know so that you can learn more to become a better technician. I think over the course of this hour, Kevin, you've done a really, really good job at breaking that down and really kind of giving it to us in bite-sized pieces so that we can we can understand it, right? And I think it's vitally important to the future of our industry because we do need some level of standardization. ASC's provided a, one heck of a platform here for all of us to get on. We just got to get everybody on the same page. And, and I think our discussion here hopefully will help that. I don't think it's going to be uh, the, the be-all end-all for it, but I, I think we've got to continue the discussion on how do we get everybody on the same page and and how do we you know give credit to ASE as we should and, and just the, the respect level to ASE, even from the manufacturer's level. I mean, we see varied levels of buy-in from manufacturers. I would encourage those that are on the manufacturing side to really look at yourself internally and look at ways that you can integrate ASC into your programs. We talked about Toyota. They do a phenomenal job at bringing ASC into their programs. I think that means a lot. I mean, we we need that. We need independent shops. We need fleets. We need dealerships to all kind of be on the same page here so that there is some type of clear communication to that end consumer that, you know, hey, we're a place you can trust. We're a place that is going to do it the right way. And I think ASC is one heck of a step in the right direction in doing that. So I, I applaud everything that you do out there. Keep coming up with the good work, the innovative stuff. I mean, that app is awesome. I really, really look forward to seeing what that'll do for the industry as a whole. Just uh, kudos to, to you and everybody at ASC for what you're doing. Well, thank you very much. And you know, I, I've got to give some props here to, to the team that I work with. This organization is loaded with a bunch of very passionate people. And you have to have a passion for this industry to be in this business. That's all there is to it. Because what we do day in, day out, sitting here looking and analyzing numbers and things like that, it gets pretty mundane. But if you don't have a passion for the industry, and if you don't have a passion to try to help people, um, this is not the place for you. And I got to say, all the folks that I work with here, they are extremely passionate. And if folks are having difficulty, whether they're having difficulty answering questions on a traditional test, you know, give us a call, drop us an email. One of us will get back to you and we'll talk to you. We'll help you and we'll explain things to you. For the guy that comes basically hat in hand and is just saying, you know, I, I've been taking these tests and I keep missing it by one or two and I just don't know what's wrong. Well, I can't go in and tell them, well, you've answered this question wrong and this is why. But what I can do is point them towards resources to help them to be able to be more successful with the tests. And Every one of the folks on the team that's part of either traditional testing or the group that I'm in, special testing, this is what we live for. This is what we do. We try to help people day in and day out. And so for those employers, for the technicians that are watching here, and you're kind of wondering, you know, want to know more about ASC, reach out to us. We are not these big, scary, mean people. Every single person that's part of this team has walked a mile in your shoes. That is one of the prerequisites, basically, to get involved with ASC, is you need to have actually done the job before. You know, we do not have people that are just professional test administrators. These guys, you know, they've worked on school buses. They have worked on big trucks, you know, on the automotive side, obviously. And I mean, I, I show you the, the grease under my fingernails from what I did over the weekend, you know, and we still do this stuff. So it's one of those things that, uh, you know, we're here to help, you know, and, and a lot of times people are intimidated, like you said, about what we do around here. There's no reason to be because we are just normal people. We put our pants on one leg at a time. Our job here is to help our, our customers and help the technicians out there because we honestly want to see everybody succeed. I would love 
to be able to drive around and just see shop after shop after shop. And I would really love to see them all be Blue Seal certified, but at least see that ASC logo out there, see the technicians with the ASC logos on their uniforms, and they're they're real. They're not something that they bought offline somewhere or anything like that, that they've actually gone through and they can stand proud and say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm ASC certified. I'm knowledgeable in this area and I'm here to help you as my customer. This is great. For those of you that are listening and not watching, uh, Kevin's got a, he gave me a virtual tour of his office and he is, uh, he's a racing nerd like I am. And uh, he's got some really, really cool stuff from ASC, the trucks that you've sponsored from uh, what was formerly the Craftsman Truck Series and kind of a now Camping World Series. But it, it, you've got uh, got some pretty cool stuff from ASC out there on the walls. At, at, uh, at, I was uh, happy that you gave me that virtual tour. That was fun. Uh, it's, it's my pleasure to do it. Yeah, we were part of that, that program from the onset, basically, when the Craftsman Truck Series started until about, uh, I think it was 2007, 2008, somewhere in there is where uh, we did uh, bow down. And that's one of those times when the economy made its turn and all that stuff. And so it just, it happened, one of those things. But uh, nonetheless, that's a piece of history that uh, is part of ASC's legacy. I'm uh, happy that uh, I get to be the one that uh, tries to maintain it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Kevin, we do really appreciate you taking the time and explaining some of this out and uh, hope, hope to have you back on again someday. All right, Jay. Thank you. Thank you.